Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you're while listening to Phyllis Faber. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Welcome back into the pastor's office. It's Pastor Jonathan Mason here with you. And, and can you believe that it's already the 23rd of January? We are already at the fourth Sunday in January. I want to know what you've done with your first four weeks of the year. Have you broken your resolutions? Are you sticking with your resolutions? Have you made it to the church house? Have you given God praise for what he's brought you through? I always share with my congregation, don't take any day for granted. The reason we don't take any day for granted is because tomorrow is not promised. And then I, here's what I also say. Before you know it, we'll be back at watch night service. And then you'll be looking back over the years saying to yourself, what did I accomplish and what did I do? Start making a plan for yourself now, brothers and sisters. Start making a plan for yourself now to make this the greatest year of your life. Don't take any day that God gives us for granted. That's just my opening salvo to you today. But listen, we've got some great guests on the show today. And, and, and I want to I bring into the pastor's office the state representative for the 200th district here in Pennsylvania. Uh, they call him Rep. Rab, but this is his first time coming in to the pastor's office with us, State Representative Chris Rabb. State Representative, how are you today, sir? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. So, State Representative Chris Rabb, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, but one of the reasons I wanted to bring you into the pastor's office today to have a conversation is because you are working on a lot of legislation around voting. Uh, and we know that just a couple weeks ago, on January the 6th, uh, we, we came to the one-year anniversary uh, of what I would call a terrorist attack, what I would call a mob attack, what I would call an attempt to uh, circumvent the natural course uh, of, of what was right, what was legal, and what was done appropriately uh, in electing Biden to office. Uh, we just passed a year on that. Uh, and you have reintroduced legislation uh, into the Pennsylvania State House to bypass the Electoral College. And when I saw that, I wanted to have a conversation around it because, you know, there are a lot of pros and cons uh, to legislation of that nature. And as I look around the country, I kind of find it gaining steam out there in the country because already 15 states have approved this legislation. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you today uh, as the author of that bill in the House, and I wanted to ask you first question, why do you feel it's so important for us to go to basically one man, one vote? Well, uh, great question, and I, I think the answer is simple. Uh, there are very few races where 
we are intermediated by some kind of mysterious entity that decides whether or not they want to acknowledge the collective will of the voters. And that's what we have in presidential races. We don't choose who the president is, the American people, most specifically American voters. We don't choose who the president is. The electors who are in our electoral college do, which meant, meant that we don't trust our own citizens to decide who is going to be the leader of our nation. And I think that's deeply problematic. There was a time when we were not entrusted to elect our own U.S. senators. They were appointed. We had to have a constitutional amendment to change that. A lot of people just never knew that. The reality is the person who wins the most votes should be president. I don't think that's a particularly radical or partisan perspective. Um, but there have been now four, I believe, um, lifetime appointments onto the Supreme Court by two different presidents who did not earn the national popular vote. That's George W. Bush and Donald J. Trump. Neither won the, the popular vote, and they were still elected. Now, the bill that I've reintroduced simply says that a compact of various states that, whose electors equal or exceed the number it would take for uh, a president to get enough electoral votes to become president, that would be 270 votes, um, that they assign their electors to whomever won the national popular vote. So we'll never have to worry about a president, whether they're Democrat or Republican, um, who are taking office, who have w won fewer votes than the other person. It's very straightforward. It's nonpartisan. And it also does not involve getting rid of the Electoral College, because um, our Constitution allows for states to determine how our electors are assigned. So this state-based legislation um, basically uh, honors how states can make that happen. And the way we should make that happen is to use those electors in ways that honor the will of the national electorate. And that's, that's all this bill does. State Representative Rab, again, thank you for that response. We really appreciate this and appreciate you coming in and, and giving us such a clear rationale uh, for the bill that you have, have been reintroduced to the House. Here's my question to you. Uh, by enacting your bill, does this take away equal representation across the board? Because that was one of the reasons why the Electoral College was put in place. Well, two things. One is, the Electoral College doesn't provide equal representation. It represents proportional representation, right? It's not as though California has the same number of electoral votes as Rhode Island. That would be absurd. That's how the U.S. Senate operates. There's equal representation among states in the U.S. Senate because there's only 100 senatorial seats, two per state. California is bigger than most countries. It has the same representation as Rhode Island, which has a population smaller than Washington, D.C., that has no representation in the U.S. Senate. So the Electoral College is not about equality. It's about proportionality. But more importantly, if there were no Electoral College, it's not as though <laughs> the numbers would be any different in terms of raw numbers of people voting for one candidate or the other. Um, it, in fact, um, if we look at the last election, 
Biden um, and the previous one, they won by only a few million votes. So even though the Democratic presidential candidate uh, tends to do better in, you know, states, large states like California, there's also Texas, which is a pretty populous state as well. And it really comes out among those folks who actually take the time to register and vote. It tends to be pretty close. There hasn't been a blowout in some time. So the concern that um, the Electoral College will protect a given party or candidate from a blowout is not is not backed in fact. Understood, understood. So, so you said this is nonpartisan, uh, but it seems to me like everything in politics today is partisan. Will you be able to find the support necessary uh, to get this measure to the governor's desk? Absolutely not. <laughs> you we weren't like expecting that response, were you? We like your <laughs> I caught you. So the reality is there's a, a strong Republican majority in both the Senate and the House in Harrisburg. So on the state level, uh, Republicans have had the majority uh, largely through gerrymandering over the past 30 years. Um, we're in the midst of redistricting right now where um, legislative districts and senatorial districts and congressional districts on the federal level are all being, um, those boundaries are being um, readjusted based on population growth and demographic changes. But um, I can tell you that even though my bill will not move anywhere in the House this legislative term, that may change if there's a new majority. But here's the irony. Most Republicans, not all, but most Republicans in the House are against my bill, but it was conceived of by Republican leaders. Um, at my press conference, uh, when I um, uh, announced that I'd be reintroducing it months ago, and I, in fact, it was probably over a year ago, the only Republican who would stand with me was the former head of the uh, Michigan Republican Party. He came all the way to Pennsylvania to stand side by side with me to talk about how this is what's best for the American people, not what's best for Republicans or Democrats, conservatives and liberals, what have you, but it's good for our electorate because it honors the collective will of Americans who've taken the time to actually vote. And if the majority of, of voters say we want candidate X, but instead we're getting candidate Y, there's something really wrong about that. That's not how most Americans process democracy. We don't have any other elections where the person who gets um, the second highest number of votes wins. That's, that, some people would even say that's un-American, but it's deeply American as long as we've had the Electoral College. Now, um, I'm open to discussions on the federal level about getting rid of the Electoral College. But the wonderful thing about state legislatures is that we are able to address shortcomings and challenges on the federal level by working creatively on the state level. And when we can work across state lines to do that, even better. So, for instance, the federal minimum wage is $7.25. But every state around Pennsylvania has chosen to increase that minimum wage higher because that's their right and their responsibility to make sure that people aren't working 40 hours a week and still uh, remain in poverty. Pennsylvania is not one of those states, unfortunately. I have a bill to change that. But this bill 
addresses federal defects in a in a uh, constitutional, ethical, and smart, collaborative way. And this is how we have to approach things in government when they're not doing what they should do um, for the constituencies who, who demand justice. Well, you certainly have been busy uh, advocating a number of different election-related reforms. Uh, before we let you go, uh, two of the ones that I, I saw that were interesting to me uh, and to our listeners, one is requiring background checks for candidates, and then the other is making Election Day a state holiday, which I absolutely believe is essential if we want everybody to be able to get to the polls. Why, why don't you tell us about those background checks and then the Election Day holiday? Sure. Um, before I was in office, I, I was a professor at Temple University in the Fox School of Business. And after the whole Sandusky scandal with uh, Penn State, um, there are all kinds of restrictions put in place to make sure that people who are uh, uh, entrusted to work with young people um, uh, didn't have backgrounds that would put those children in peril. So... Um, I remember having to go through this whole FBI thing, as, as, and I was a part-time uh, professor. I was an adjunct professor, so I wasn't on the payroll full-time. But anyone who was associated with Temple University, um, whether they're staff, faculty, what have you, had to do these background checks. And I thought that was a good thing because as a father, uh, I want to know that I'm entrusting my children to folks who do not have questionable backgrounds. And um, it was very thorough and very intensive. And um, if we have that for, for teachers and administrators, um, we need to have that for political candidates who have campaign staff that are often staffed by young people and in unsupervised areas and working late at night and on weekends. I know that I very much would want my children to be involved in political campaigns um, for candidates who they believed in. But I'd like to know that um, they've been vetted. Now, my bill would not say if you have um, a record that you're not and you've done your time that you, you would be disallowed to run because I believe in criminal justice reform. I believe in redemption and second chances and rehabilitation. Don't get me wrong. But um, there are some red flags that I think people need to know about. I feel similarly about um, elected officials. Um, I feel similarly about um, law enforcement. I believe in transparency and accountability across the board. So I'm not asking anything of others that I haven't already been expected of uh, for myself. And that's what that bill would do. Understood. And then the election day uh, as a state yeah. holiday. Many people don't understand why that's so important. Why don't you give us some context around that? Sure. Well, you, now there's a lot of talk from a lot of my conservative colleagues in the state legislature about how long it takes election officials to report on who has won an election because of counting, how long it takes to count absentee and vote-by-mail ballots, etc. But they rarely talk about how long people have to wait in line to vote in person. And it's always longer in black and brown and poor areas um, than anywhere else. And that's been the case for generations. So we have to put all of these conversations about electoral and voting change is in perspective. And uh, the idea that we have an electorate where we have 13 hours where you can vote on, you know, 
uh, twice a year in only 13 hours is absurd when we have so many options in all other parts of society. Why restrain someone who wants to do their civic duty and exercise their, their sacred franchise if they're not able to do that in, in 13 hours? Now, you know, two years ago, we passed a bill that allowed for early voting and to put it in a mail, in a mail slot or a drop box or a satellite election office, which is great. Um, folks are trying to pull that away after successfully implementing those reforms, right? But I think what we have to also recognize is there are millions of working people who aren't able to get away. And if we believe in democracy and we believe that our vote matters, then our government should facilitate as many people um, being able to vote as possible. And so just enshrining one day out of the year uh, when folks vote in the fall as a, as a paid state holiday is, is neither radical nor partisan. It just expands and honors our electorate. The other thing, too, though, is in order for that to happen, um, I have um, companion legislation that gets rid of Columbus Day. So that's the controversial part. There's a, there's a, a state holiday for Columbus Day, which I believe should be abolished in light of who Columbus truly was, and instead take that, that holiday and give it to Pennsylvania voters. So in order to make that happen, we'd have to swap out. And so, uh, as you can imagine, I've gotten quite a bit of heated response about why I believe abolishing Columbus Day and reassigning that holiday for voters uh, it, it, it's caused quite a stir. Yeah, I, I've done I, I this for three terms now. I, I can imagine it's caused some stir. Uh, but, but again, what we're talking about is access to the polls for everybody. Uh, and that's, that's so critical. There are just some people, and we've seen it through this, throughout this pandemic, there's some people who can't get off work to get to the polls. So by making it a national holiday, uh, it allows everybody to have access and to be able to let their voice be heard. Uh, State Representative Christopher Rapp, thank you so much for coming into the pastor's office today. Uh, this is our first time ever having a chance to speak, and uh, I want to thank you for blessing our constituents, our listeners, uh, with uh, all that you are doing. Uh, and I always say this to our elected officials, if there's anything that we can do with these airwaves, uh, to get your message out, uh, to let people know uh, what you're doing and what help you may need to get things done. I want you to know that Philly's favor 100.7 and 99.5 HD3 are available to you. Sir, thank you very much. Reverend, thank you so much. It's been an honor. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. And we certainly want to thank our first guest today, State Representative Chris Rabb. Uh, we really appreciate him taking time to come in and join us. But now we want to look toward the Pennsylvania Senate race. This race is heating up. We've had a number of the candidates on the show over the last pa uh, several months. And today we want to bring in another declared candidate for Senate. Uh, he's a Philadelphian. Uh, he's been in Philadelphia all of his life one of the leading attorneys here in Philadelphia, also former Pennsylvania boxing commissioner. 
and I'm a huge boxing fan, so would love to talk a little bit about that. But let's do this. Let's welcome into the pastor's office, George Baquetto. Mr. Baquetto, welcome to the office. Thank you so much for inviting me, and I am delighted to be here, and I'm delighted to address you and your listeners. Well, we certainly want to thank you for your time. Now, before we get started about the race, why don't you just tell our Phillies' favorite listeners just a little bit about your background? Well, in addition to being the boxing commissioner uh, for about six years under Governor Ridge, um, you know, we, we formed the Boxing Scholarship Foundation, which raises scholarship money for amateur boxers. And I'm uh, very proud of that, and I'm very proud of the students that uh, uh, have received those scholarships. I've been involved in politics, you know, pretty much my entire life. I, I've taken on different causes uh, I feel very strongly about uh, what this country means and what opportunities it has. Uh, I also feel very strongly that it's got to make its opportunities more available across the board. You know, Pastor, I grew up in an orphanage in Brooklyn, so I didn't uh, I didn't necessarily have the silver spoon and 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 anything or everything handed to me. I had to work hard and uh, learn values and and learn how to respect others in order to succeed and i have succeeded and i'm I'm, i am so delighted now to be in a position to to try to give back and and we appreciate uh your vast uh a wealth of experience uh one in in giving back to the community and working for the community but you must admit that partisan divide, the partisan divide is larger than it's ever been. I know that you've considered running for mayor in the past and running for other offices in the past. Why now in 2022, when it almost seems like it's difficult to get anything done and through the political process? Yeah, you are so right, Pastor. I mean, it it is it has gotten to really epidemic or even crisis proportions. The divide that's in Washington. Uh, I think that with my background and my experiences, I'm a bridge builder. I'm someone who can get along with lots of different kinds of people, lots of different kinds of philosophies and and causes, and help bridge it and get things done. What we do not need are ultra-extreme politicians, either from the left or from the right, because they're not getting anything done. What we need are solid people from both parties who genuinely want to work with each other, find compromises, and get things done. And that's why I'm running. Oh, let's take a look here. You're in a race now, and and the the Democratic side has pretty much been set. We know that it's going to come down to a primary between the lieutenant governor and our U.S. representative. But the Republican side is loaded with candidates. Uh, You've got a television celebrity. You've got a hedge fund uh, manager, both of whom moved into Pennsylvania to run. Uh, you've got uh, other doctors, medical professionals. Uh, how do you feel you're going to be able to break through that crowd, get your message heard, 
and become the nominee. Well, I will say this, Pastor, you you certainly know how to get to the core of the matter. <laughs> uh, I salute you. Uh, that is really uh, a very penetrating question, and my my approach on this is it's true. You've got Dr. Oz, who's got huge amounts of money, uh, who's parachuting in from New Jersey. You've got another parachutist by the name of David McCormick from Connecticut, who's got huge money. But I think you've already begun to see that they're using a lot of their money tearing each other down, ripping each other apart, accusing each other on a very personal level of bad things. And that's not who I am. I'm a Pennsylvanian. Uh, I do good things. I think once they're done tearing each other down, people are going to be looking around and they're going to say, you know, don't we have someone from Pennsylvania who's solid, who can stand up, who knows how to get things done, who we can relate to? And I think I'm that person. And I think as I get my message out and as I circulate, uh, people are going to realize that across the state. And that's my game plan. That's how I intend to win this primary and then go on to win the general election. We absolutely uh, appreciate uh, your passion for running for this office, and that's why I wanted to have you on. I certainly wanted our Philly's favorite listeners uh, to be able to hear your position. So let's let's pivot to some of the issues, uh, Attorney Paquetto. Um, the pandemic. Uh, numbers are higher than they've ever been. Uh, hospitals are overwhelmed. We do believe that the seasonality of this uh, will see the numbers declining shortly. But how will a senator, Boketto, uh, a legislate to help America come out of this pandemic and return to some sense of normalcy? Well, I think that is so important. We need to stop punishing people for COVID. Uh, we absolutely must have our children in school with an in-school learning environment. And we need legislation that prevents school districts from sending children home uh, and keeping them home. That was just a really, really bad uh, consequence of the way in which COVID has been handled. Uh, we need to focus in on opportunities and health care solutions uh, where we need it the most, which is in our urban areas. And we need legislation that prioritizes our health care opportunities and provisions in our urban areas. And that's another area that I think as we've gone through COVID, uh, the country has learned a lot of lessons about who got impacted the hardest by COVID. And there's no question but that the urban areas get impacted the hardest. And that's where we need to spend a lot more attention, not only for this uh, pandemic as it, as it winds down, but for anything that, that visits us in the future. You know, this is not, you know, I don't think we can say this is ever going to be the last pandemic we're ever going to face. And uh, even aside from pandemics, we've learned a lot about how we need to order ourselves particularly in urban areas, to do a better job. You know, we, we saw uh, Governor Yunkin come in in Virginia and on his first day remove the mask mandate. Uh, I, I certainly want to 
ask you, uh, as I listen to your answer regarding school children, uh, mask on or mask off? Masks off, absolutely, because it, it's it's very, very clear. The statistics are absolutely overwhelming. The masks don't do anything. They're a distraction. They're annoyance. I think they interfere with the educational process of our young children. Uh, no, but no souls are being saved with masks. But a lot of souls are being sacrificed by insisting on all these protocols that do not have anything to do with preventing COVID and which impact, uh, seriously impact the educational experience. And that is the most important thing we all have to remember. We want our youngsters to get off to good, wonderful educational beginnings because if they are turned off, if they are interfered with and everything, by the time they're six, seven, eight years old, it becomes so much tougher uh, to recapture them in the educational process. We want them as young as we can get them, and we want everything done to encourage a positive educational experience. And masks do not help that positive experience. Let's, let, let's, let's stay right with the young people for just a couple moments here. Um, we've been in this pandemic. We're, it's hard to believe Attorney Baquetto, that we're in our third year uh, of this pandemic. We, we, the first cases were identified uh, in the winter of 2019, uh, and 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 then when we think about uh, March of 2020, when everything shut down, uh, some of our kids have not returned to school yet. Uh, and and I've always been one to say that you can't ask an elementary school student, you can't ask a preschool age student, you can't even ask a junior high school student to learn like a college student. They can't learn virtually. They can't learn watching a screen. There are too many distractions. They're just young people. What I want to know is your position on how we catch these young people up. Some of them truly have missed two years of a good quality education uh, because of virtual learning. And listen, I'm not taking a position. I think the school districts did what they needed to do uh, in order to continue learning. But my concern is that education gap, those two years. How do we catch these students up? That That, that is so important, and you are absolutely right. Uh, we, we've lost two years, and we have to have far greater outreach efforts to those, that young generation that lost those two years to bring them back into the in, into the real classroom to provide them with opportunities and to try to catch up as best we can it, it's almost you know toothpaste is out of the tube for those two years but we've got to find a way to recapture those children and get them back into the educational experience because that's where it's at if someone doesn't get a good education you know, they're going to have a very difficult time getting along in our society for the rest of their life. And we, we just cannot allow that to happen. And we must recognize that mistakes were made when it came to school close downs. And we have to go the extra mile now. We have to make the extra effort to recapture those students and re-energize them in their educational experience. 
You're listening to Philly's Favor, 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. You're in the pastor's office this Sunday afternoon, and we're talking to attorney Bocchetto, who is running for the open U.S. Senate seat here in Pennsylvania. Uh, this, this race is going to be watched by the entire country because it could define and determine the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. Let's move on, Attorney Bocchetto, and talk a little bit about election reforms. Many, many states have enacted election reforms, which are viewed by many as suppression, attempts to suppress the vote, uh, attempts to limit access to the polls. I would love to get your thoughts on declaring Election Day a national holiday, on background checks for political candidates, which we just talked about in our last conversation uh, with State Representative Rab. Give us some of uh, your thoughts on the election reforms that are, that are out there right now. Well, my earnest view is that we need elections that everybody believes are valid and honest and fine. The, 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 what's happened about arguing over election results and whether they're legitimate or not legitimate is very, very harmful to our democracy. And we need a, a set of laws. You know, Pastor, uh, as, as a lawyer of 40 years in Philadelphia, I've been working election court every, every time. And I've, I've been at the local courts. I've been in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. I've been in the Commonwealth Court. I've seen election uh, results, election shenanigans, election integrity issues for my entire career. And I've seen it all. And what this country needs are reliable election results that everybody can accept as being final and fair. And that's what I'm in favor of. And I am willing to consider any position. Uh, you mentioned, Pastor, uh, making Election Day a holiday. I think that's a very interesting idea. And I am willing to look at that very carefully, because if something like that can lead to a more secure election result that the people have more confidence in, that's what I want. I want elections and election results that we don't need to argue over and we can all accept as fair and final. ID or no ID? ID. And why? Because there is too much opportunity without ID uh, for people to go in and take abuse and, and take advantage of the situation. It is not, in my view, an imposition on people uh, to present an ID. You need an ID to drive a car. You need an ID to get into uh, uh, a restaurant these days. You need an ID to do just about anything. You need an ID to get on an airplane. So I, I don't see the ID issue as, as imposing an imposition, and I think it helps us clear up a lot of abuse. There's the, if uh, anybody that's been watching the news, and, and let's be honest, anybody who's been living in Philadelphia uh, for the last uh, few years recognizes the fact uh, that gun violence is on the rise, that crime uh, has uh, 
it's really gotten out of hand. And, and I don't just want to single out Philadelphia, but we're in Philly, so we got to talk about it. It's happening all across the country. Uh, but what are your thoughts on uh, common sense gun reforms? Uh, talk to us a little bit about that, because access to guns is it, it, it's easy. Uh, you can go from you can leave one state, go to another state, get a gun bring it back. Uh, I mean, there are just so many ways for young people or people of any age to access guns. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on common sense gun legislation. Yeah, well, our crime problem is uh, alarming. It's not just important, Pastor. It is absolutely alarming. And, um, you know, I earnestly believe that law-abiding citizens people that work hard, pay their taxes, uh, try to raise their children in a responsible way and that type of thing. They are not the problem, and those of them who have guns are not the problem. They are not out there committing acts of violence. The acts of violence are being committed by the criminals. And as you say, Pastor, uh, guns are the illegal guns. Guns purchased through straw purchase and that type of thing, that is a big source of the problem. And what I think we need to do is focus in on solving gun violence problems by focusing in on the circumstances where there is abuse. There is no abuse by law-abiding citizens, and law-abiding citizens should not face any restrictions other than exist on lawfully obtaining uh, a firearm and lawfully being t uh, able to protect themselves. And I look at that carjacking situation that just happened in Philadelphia. I mean, that gentleman was minding his own business, a very decent person, and they were trying to hijack him. And I, I think he's very fortunate that he had a gun and was able to defend himself. And he has the right under the Constitution to do that. He is not the problem. The problem is amongst those who want to commit criminal acts. And that's where our efforts and our approaches must be to get the violence down, to get the gun killings down, to, to address this issue. We have an awful, awful situation now in Philadelphia, which is developed, which is absolutely unacceptable. I agree with you 100% that the uh, gun violence issue is unacceptable, but then it also leads to some of the causes of gun violence, some of the causes of crime and domestic violence. And one of the things that research is clearly showing us is that poverty, educational gaps, which we've already discussed, and, and certainly uh, children growing up without mentorship, uh, in the community or in the household, uh, a lot of these issues lead to people picking up guns or ending up uh, participating in behaviors that are not only detrimental to themselves, but are detrimental to their communities. Uh, talk to us a little bit uh, about how we deal with uh, and handle some of these domestic issues, some of these issues of poverty and and, and uh, in our communities, how do we help everybody? Let me position it this way. How do we help everybody gain a seat 
at the table of success. Well, that that is so important, and you are so right, Pastor, that, you know, those that unfortunately are in a cycle of poverty have such a more difficult time uh, existing in our country, and it is it is it is the birthplace of a lot of violence and a lot of uh, criminal activity. And I am a big believer in looking at what the circumstances are that underlie criminal behavior and try to change and improve those circumstances. Everybody has the right to a good job, a good paying job that they can support themselves, their families, they can put their children in school, they have an automobile to drive, they can take a vacation, uh, they can live the life uh, that our democracy, our American dream, promises. And I understand it because, don't forget, I grew up in poverty too. I grew up in an orphanage. They don't hand out any free donuts in the orphanage. None. Zero. So I know what it's like to come up, and I am sensitive to those issues, and I am committed to, to do everything that I can to help improve those conditions on a real level, on a real neighborhood, block-by-block, neighborhood-by-neighborhood basis to try to improve the opportunities for everybody to have a seat at that table. Attorney George McKenna, I want to thank you for coming into the pastor's office. Before we leave, will you do us a great favor and tell our listeners how they can get more information about your campaign, about your positions, because I always share this with my audience. Uh, when you're educated on the issues, on the candidates, you make the right decision. So why don't you share with our listeners how they can find out more about you? Oh, well, thank you so much, Pastor. Um, you can find out a lot more about me and my candidacy by going to Boketto, B-O-C-H-E-T-T-O, Boketto, for Senate. And I have a website set up, and if you put in your mailing address or your email address, my campaign will send you literature. We will put you on our mailing list to keep you advised of, of our activities and the platforms that we are developing. And uh, we welcome everybody uh, to join us and to, and to learn more about our campaign because we're convinced that when you go to Boketto for Senate, you're going to realize that you've got a candidate in your midst who is truly dedicated to try to help the situation. Attorney George Boketto, thank you so much for coming into the pastor's office today. Uh, we wish you all the best uh, as you seek to serve all of Pennsylvania, and if we can ever be a platform for you to get your message out in the future, feel free to give us a call. We're right here for you because we want our listeners to know what's going on in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, and it was a delight. It was absolutely delightful to join your show. God bless you. Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio 